G'day you mob, Pete here, and this is another episode of Aussie English, the number one place for anyone and everyone wanting to learn Australian English. So, today I have a GOSS episode for you where I sit down with my old man, my father, Ian Smithson, and we talk about the week's news, whether locally down under here in Australia or non-locally <laughs> overseas in other parts of the world, okay? And we sometimes also talk about whatever comes to mind, right? If we can think of something interesting to share with you guys related to us or Australia, we also talk about that in the GOSS. So, these episodes are specifically designed to try and give you content about many different topics where we're obviously speaking in English and there are multiple people having a natural and spontaneous conversation in English. So, it is particularly good to improve your listening skills. In order to complement that though, I really recommend that you join the podcast membership or the academy membership at aussieenglish.com.au where you will get access to the full transcripts of these episodes, the PDFs, the downloads, and you can also use the online PDF reader to read and listen at the same time, okay? So, if you really, really want to improve your listening skills fast, Get the transcript, listen and read at the same time, keep practicing, and that is the quickest way to level up your English. Anyway, I've been rabbiting on a bit, I've been talking a bit. Let's just get into this episode, guys. Smack the bird, and let's get into it. Alrighty, guys, g'day, and welcome to this episode of The Goss. Hey, everyone. Dad and I were just having a rant about stubbies. So Stubby, to, you're going to have to do it now. I have to show the stuff. I've got a stubby holder here, which is yeah. from when I did turtle research in um, Queensland. And then if I pull a beer out Queensland it, turtle research. Jeez, I know. Good. Surprise. <laughs> no information um, added there. There's a beer here that is actually called stubby and it's in and it a, stubby. Like a stubby. Yeah. So, a stubby is yes. a short, stout glass bottle of beer as opposed mm-hmm. to a long neck, which would be a really large, probably the size of what? A um, 1.25 litre uh, bottle of 750 mil. But it'd be about that size. About as tall, yeah. Yeah. But they have that slender neck. Sorry. Yeah. Not much point in me doing hand actions down here where you can't see it on the camera, is it? A slender Mm -hmm. neck. Yeah. So, we are going to be covering the article, The Bare Truth. This one is from- Pandas. The the Guardian. Actually, it's not The Bare Truth. I opened up the actual scientist's review um, on The Guardian here. So, too much of a good thing, too much of a good home is bad for panda mating- says scientists. And they are full of shit. Uh, I don't know. I found it really interesting. Oh, it's interesting. I am skeptical. I'm having a skeptical day. Just constantly shitting on everyone's scientific. All these professors do all this work and dad's just like, nah, it's garbage. No, it's, well, I'll give you my explanation afterwards, but I actually like (laughs) the Guardian story. the story first. You can't just let me introduce it and dad's just like, it's all shit. But I'll let you introduce it, but I'm going to, I'm going to put my, I like the, because you've jumped straight over the Guardian story, but I actually like it because it's done in the form of an interview. Yeah. Okay. So it's not just a journalist telling the story. The journalist is interviewing this 18 year old male panda mm-hmm. and saying, well, why the, you know. Would well, you want to read a bit of it? You've got it in front of you. I've got the other uh, one open here. Um, name Panda Sex. That's an interesting name. Anyway, I'm sorry for looking away from the screen here. I'm reading <laughs> on another screen. Age 18 year old male. Frequency famously rare. Yes. Why is that? If I were a panda, I'd be at it all the time. Here is we have the first problem. The first problem is that if the population is low, there is an assumption 
that individuals are going to want to reproduce to save the species. That is totally unscientific. And it is one of those myths that keeps getting propagated up you know, the, for the good of the species. No individual ever does anything for the good of the species, <laughs> except maybe humans. And mostly we screw that up. So, yeah. So, so that's a good little expression there, though, to be at it. That, that means it. quite a few things, doesn't it? Yeah, but it usually means one thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, you could use this for like work. So uh, I'm going to oh, go yeah, back to it. the shed and I'm going to get at back, it. Yeah. back yeah, at it. I'm going to go and yeah. mow the lawn. We'll have at it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. To be at something is to be, I guess, like literally at that thing, right? Doing it. In front yes. of that thing and then doing yes. it. But it can be mean. It can yes, also mean yeah, to have at sex. Is, at is typically a location-based pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I but you could say that, oh, I went camping and, you know, these campers had their the fly of their tent open and they were going at it. They were, they were having at it. They were, (laughs) they were doing it right there. Yeah. So uh, what have we got here? Researchers now think that pandas notoriously low libido is because they are too comfortable to make the effort to search for a mate. A study published in conservation biology has suggested that if pandas find the perfect habitat, in this instance, a cool, moderately low-lying area rich with bamboo and far mm-hmm. from humans, then they will be happy, then they will just happily settle down and not go anywhere. St- the study based on models combined with genetic analyses of panda poop in Wulong Nature Reserve in China. So the study suggests that while functional connectivity or gene flow increases as the proportion of habitat within a landscape rises. It declines when the proportion exceeds 80%. So I guess in normal English, that would be gene flow here is obviously um, the flow of your DNA across generations or across space. And he's, they're saying that if the functional connectivity increases as the proportion of habitat with the landscape rises, so the more habitat there is, the more gene flow there is, meaning that there's more reproduction going on, individuals are moving around. But they'd said once you get past 80% or, I guess, comfort in terms of the quality of the means. landscape, yeah. the animals don't move as much anymore. So that gene flow takes a hit and you get less gene flow, right? You get less mm-hmm. individuals moving around. So the crux of the story was effectively that researchers need to, well, conservation managers and everything need to make sure that the habitat is at sort of 80% optimal capacity or quality or comfort so that individual pandas are forced to move around in order to find mates and want to interbreed you know want to have sex want to reproduce everything like that whereas if they get comfortable they'll just sit in the same spot and they may still breed but if your individuals are staying there and you're having offspring that are also staying in the same location that's obviously going to become a problem with inbreeding and everything so you mm. ideally most species want to be sort of mixing it up as much as they can across the distribution that they're found in, in order to maintain, um, you know, good genetic diversity. So you don't end up with a really, really uh, inbred population where everyone's related to everyone else really yes. closely. Like yeah, I cheaters. agree with all of that. Um, the challenge I have, and this, and I haven't read the the actual paper. Um, Neither have I. I've just you know, assumed what I've taken out of the the little interview with the panda here, which is so it goes down a bottleneck. It goes from the science into a journalist, and then it goes out to the rest of the world. And yeah. you're taking on what a journalist has decided to write up as clickbait news articles. Exactly. <laughs> the challenge I have with the potentially that I have with the science, because and you know, huge disclaimer here, um, I haven't read the actual article. 
If what we are being represented as is there, that article means, though, the challenge I have with it is that there is a chicken and an egg problem here because I could come up with an equally valid reason for pandas not wanting to have sex. And it that hurts. is... It hurts for them, you know. No, no. And, and, and that, this is a biological-based one, not just a hypothetical. And this is the chicken and egg problem, is that they um, female pandas have extremely low... Um, estrus cycles they they go into estrus that is they are reproductively active yeah once a year for about two or three days wow okay therefore there is no need to have sex outside of that window outside at least there's no that urge to there's no urge to um yeah unlike many other animals where you know things like primates and rodents and things where you can be having sex constantly because you're constantly likely to uh, get you know females are likely to get pregnant whereas there is zero reason when an animal is not in estrus in this case so for the other 362 or three days a year um, for male pandas to be running around looking for female pandas or the or the reverse or male pandas to be fighting other male pandas yeah. to get to the female and so on because it's pointless um, they can't so impregnate a female they can't impregnate they them anyway them. Yeah. therefore it is all just negative energy you're just using mm-hmm. up energy for no reproductive output and it could be dangerous if you're fighting yeah. with other males so, nothing. so the question I have is is which came first did the low estrus mean you know, low, long estrus cycle and very you know, small window of you know, reproductive activity cause them to be like this or is the fact that they are like that mean that they only are going to have that long Easter cycle. It's it's chicken or egg. So any other interpretation of it has to be done in that context. So I think though it's it's pretty interesting in terms of what you do when trying to rehabilitate environments mm. for species. That's where it's going oh, to yeah, have from a conservation biology point of view. Yeah, where because we actually assume the existing reproductive behaviour and reproductive physiology of the animal, and what can we do to potentially enhance the environment that will increase the likelihood of success. Uh, I agree with that, but. Yeah, but the the article is sort of done as well. They don't have sex because they don't want to. Um, is missing the point that they actually don't need to. <laughs> well, or they so. yeah they 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 don't have that biological urge to, but mm. for a certain small window of time. But they are exactly. notoriously difficult to get to to um, breed, especially in captivity. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, lots <laughs> of animals are. Uh, I yeah. mean, it took it took for yeah you know, more than a century to work out with reproductive, uh, you know, captive reproductive uh, attempts for elephants, uh, for instance, in zoos, um, to know that you know, a female elephant simply will not come into estrus unless there are other female elephants around. Wow, they didn't so You know can have a before. male and a female sitting around together forever and they can be as friendly as you like, but yeah. she's never going to get pregnant because they just don't ovulate unless there are other females around. And I'm sure there is a lot of research done now as to why and what the value of that is. Mm. But the reality is these are herd animals. Yeah. And for a um, a single female elephant to or a single couple, so a male and female elephant, it's going it takes a village to raise yeah. a child. That it was going to be my point. Uh, I elephant. was going to say it's probably very very dangerous for you to be a lone elephant that's pregnant and then has to raise a child. Yeah. Where well, even two if elephants you're are able, never going to do it. Even if you're able to grow the baby, find enough resources on your own and then give birth, the baby's probably not going to survive. So whatever okay. genes selected for you to be out on your own, if they were genes aren't going to be passed on to the next generation and mm. that's not going to 
happen where you, there's going to be selection for you to be a, an independent uh, lone animal, right? Like there are yeah. plenty of cats like that. Exactly. Apparently with, with lions, the, one of the things I was learning about recently is they think that they became social animals, especially the females, in order to protect their cubs from being killed by other males. Yes. Uh, although it still is a big part of their biology where males will come into a, you know, if, if a male defeats another male, he'll come into the pride and take over. And if there are any babies, he'll effectively go and kill them. Yeah. Um, or eat them, <laughs> which, you know, involves killing them. But in order to bring the females back into estrus as quickly as possible to be so able to reproduce his babies. Yeah. yeah he, but, doesn't want, but, he doesn't want to be hanging around looking after some other male's babies. Yeah. From a, well, an evolutionary it. point of view. Well, he probably doesn't even know why, right? He'll just be like, no, these no, things don't smell say, like this me. This is not a conscious so, yeah. thing of going in there. <laughs> Shit, I'm not looking after. I've just beaten up Fred. I don't want to look after his kids. But it's this evolutionary thing that there is no... There is no value to a male lion to come in, take over a pride, yeah. and then only hang around looking after, you know, other people's baby lions. Well, and the only cubs, time so. they do that is when they're closely related to the other males. When they're brothers. They'll, they'll be effectively either brothers yeah. or maybe even, yeah, three of them that are brothers. They'll usually mm -hmm. be very closely related who end up yep. sharing a pride, if you will, yeah. because obviously genetically they're passing on each other's genes yes, as well. You're, as you you know, you're... Um, you're 50% as successful if you're raising your brother's children as if you're raising your own. Yeah. In terms of, you know, passing your genes on. Um, the irony is from a, you know, this is sort of getting off into another track, but, um, and a lot of human cultures have this as well, is that the best possible relationship mm -hmm. is for a male to be looking after his sister's children because it is certain that he is related to them. Again, though, under the assumption that both he and his sister are definitely from the same mum. Yeah. Well, yeah. Assume yeah. that you've got the same mother, then, yeah, which means, yeah, sister. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it doesn't even have the same father. Then you are genetically related, which means you have to be genetically related to her children. But she doesn't may necessarily not be genetically be, related yeah. to your own children. Yeah. So exactly. Sneaky, sneaky. And it is. is. It, it's true that humans have a really interesting reproductive cycle or reproductive biology too, because we, I think, are one of these only primates where when women come into estrus, when they're, when they're fertile, when they're, they're ovulating, ovulating, it's yeah. hidden, right? There yes. are a lot of these. That's why women actually have breasts, you know, 24-7 all year round mm. is usually with other animals, other primates, I think they only get breasts. They only develop the breast tissue and the, um, obviously the milk and everything yeah, that's in there. Yeah, lots of animals do. Yeah. When they're pregnant, right? Like with a dog, you won't see female dogs running around with breasts or, or nipples or no. teats. But when they're pregnant, you see them. And that was the interesting thing with human biology when I was learning about that, that women have breasts and, and big hips and everything constantly in order to hide when they are ovulating mm. so that they have much more control over who exactly. ends up being the actual father yeah. of their Whereas children. Whereas ironically, you know, our closest relatives, chimpanzees, that is completely different for chimpan female yeah. chimpanzees when they are ovulating, you know, it's quite obvious that they are because they get big pink swellings around their backsides. Yeah. Um, so it's obvious. And gorillas are like humans. There's no, you know, you can't tell when a female gorilla is, you know, ovulating and ready to reproduce. So, yeah, and- you'd look at it and say all three species are large social primates. So what's the difference between them? And, yeah, and from an evolutionary point of view, clearly the chimpanzee thing works and the gorilla and human thing works. Yeah. Um, so there's no huge evolutionary advantage to be, you know, to be only one. 
But, you know, subtle differences in the, you know, our social structures and so on mean that, you know, you know, in case you're right, in the case of humans, females have much more uh, control over who they mate with than um, in chimpanzees. They don't care. You know, it's just well, any that, male will yeah. do. Yeah, exactly. It's it's crazy, isn't it? And a lot of the time, I think, isn't it with bonobos and everything where they'll use sex as a way of bonding too with one another? Oh, and or, gibbons or, are the same. Yeah. yeah gibbons will, uh, gibbons and bonobos, particularly bonobos are yes. another, you know, chimpanzee. They're uh, often but, called But culturally different, right? Or, culturally I mean, they're probably biologically different too, but they're very uh, different they're in terms they're of their closest, structure. They're closest to humans in terms yeah. of, yeah, that structure. But yeah, bonobos and, and gibbons, uh, again, another you know, ape, but small apes in this case, um, will when they bond, t- typically pair bond in the case of gibbons, and they will have sex all the time. You know, yeah, it's not they have sex for enjoyment and for um, social bonding with a with a mate as much as they do to reproduce. Yeah, and like humans dolphins clearly do the dolphins same thing. As well, dolphins right? do the same thing. <laughs> you know. I would too if I was a dolphin and didn't have any arms. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. What else are you going to do? <laughs> uh, anyway, that's probably enough for this episode, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, that was an interesting start off, wasn't it? <laughs> hey, yeah, ended on a happy note. <laughs> we did. Funny yes, dolphin sex. <laughs> Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next Thanks time, everyone. guys. Don't know if we can top this one. Alrighty, you mob. Thank you so much for listening to or watching this episode of The Goss. If you would like to watch the video, if you're currently listening to it and not watching it, you can do so on the Aussie English channel on YouTube. You'll be able to subscribe to that. Just search Aussie English on YouTube. And if you're watching this and not listening to it, you can check this episode out also on the Aussie English podcast, which you can find via my free Aussie English podcast application on both Android and iPhone. You can download that for free or you can find it via any other good podcast uh, app that you've got on your phone, Spotify, podcasts from iTunes, Stitcher, whatever it is. I'm your host, Pete. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a ripper of a day and I will see you next time. Peace.